Today on the Arkansas Moderati Podcast, updates on the Mons for Liberty Nuremberg Rally, a comparison between Mons for Liberty and the United Daughters of the Confederacy, a negative end to affirmative action, Sarah uses her office to get on Fox News again. Welcome to the Arkansas Moderati Podcast. Here we go. Welcome to the Arkansas Moderati Podcast, powered by the Purple People Project, the pinnacle achievement in podcasting in Arkansas politics coming to you from high atop a tower in a city that's half Paris, half Coney Island. Let's begin with a few updates from the Moms for Liberty rally. These people obviously read Fahrenheit 451 and felt it was a thrilling story about heroic fascists removing classic literature from society. Every Republican candidate of a wannabe or future wannabe candidate showed up at the Moms for Liberty rally to bend the knee and try to make inroads with the white female 20 to 40 demographic these candidates have so much trouble reaching. Some notable quotes from the event. Quote, the radicalism that has taken to try to force socialism and Marxism in our classrooms is the most outrageous thing this country has ever seen, says Ryan Walters, Oklahoma's superintendent of public instruction. You all are on the front lines of it, he says. Uh, the most outrageous thing this country has ever seen? Uh, forcing socialism and Marxism into our classrooms? Uh, show your work, Ryan. Uh, I have a hard time uh, picturing the teachers that were in the schools when I was there uh, being cheerleaders for socialism or Marxism. You can probably picture your own children's teachers and just try to try to see them through that lens as uh, you know some kind of secret f- uh, Marxism instructor. <laughs> Uh, unlikely, at best. Uh, Florida Education Commissioner Manny Diaz Jr. managed to put points on the ideological board by noting that Florida had rejected, quote, dozens of textbooks which contained prohibitive topics like emotional learning and CRT. Among his objections, Diaz cited an example of a math textbook including a mention of having two moms or two dads. Uh, quote, remember, these are the foundations. If we allow that stuff to seep into our kids' minds, what happens 10 years down the line, Diaz said. Oh, I don't know, Manny. Maybe they turn into mature young adults able to deal with reality and not persecute their neighbors. Uh, you know, on the surface, I don't, I don't know about this claim that he makes that they'd rejected, quote, dozens of textbooks. But I will say this, that uh, what makes this dangerous, if it's true, is that if you're a textbook manufacturer, you probably only want to have to manufacture one textbook that you can sell to a lot of schools. And if two or three of the schools that you normally service uh, object to the textbook that you're producing, you don't produce a special textbook for them. You change your textbook so that they're not offended so that you can create a textbook that you can sell to more markets. So, uh, long story short, if textbook manufacturers are changing their textbooks to make Florida happy, then those are the textbooks a lot of us are going to have to choose from. 
apparently Moms for Liberty just want LGBTQ persons to stay in the closet or live some kind of uh, uh, imitation of life existence. And they feel like if they do that, people will stop being gay once and for all. Like, somehow uh, gay people get the idea to be gay from books. Uh, if that's the case, where did all the LGBTQ people come from before they were represented in the literature? It just seems like a waste of time and more about cruelty than anything else. Just leave LGBTQ people alone. Nobody's asking you to invite them into your homes or your churches. Just, just be a human being. And even if you're not going to be supportive, stop attacking these people that have disproportionately high suicide rates because they're persecuted in our society. Leave them alone. Moms for Liberty is basically a militia group for suburban moms. They refer to themselves as uh, happy warriors, and their newsletter is called The Parents' Brigade. I mean, while this militant imagery from a group that quotes Hitler and teams up with the Proud Boys and the Three Percenters, haven't we learned our lesson about all this militant talk yet? See January 6th for context. Now, also, the strategy around CRT and book banning is nothing new. They've just given it a new name to keep up with the times to stay current. For example, the Daughters of the Confederacy was very successful in influencing schools to use only textbooks that depicted the Confederacy in a positive light. I mean, they uh, they actually went so far as to create their own textbook and uh, catechism with uh, questions and answers for students to memorize. The UDC, not unlike Moms for Liberty, created chapters all across the country to bully schools into only accepting textbooks that claimed uh, that the Civil War wasn't about slavery, which, uh, if you've looked at the Articles of Succession for the states, Arkansas, for example, uh, had nine Articles of Succession, and uh, six of them directly mentioned slavery. So, miss me with that, the Civil War wasn't about slavery shit. Uh, you were required to have a textbook that said that slaves were uh, happy and well-treated, which flies in the face of... Uh, common sense as far as I'm concerned. Uh, can you imagine uh, a people with uh, no legal rights and no freedom being happy or uh, referred to as well-treated? Ridiculous. Uh, and they created a parallel narrative that's the basis for the simplistic states' rights argument that we hear all the time about why the Civil War actually happened, which, you know, when you drill down into it, the states' right that uh, they're talking about is the right to own other people as property. So, uh, ridiculous, but that their campaign was actually very successful. If you're interested in that, there's a lot of good literature that's been produced over the years about uh, how effective the UDC was at uh, promoting the lost cause ideology. A simple Google search will turn a lot of that stuff up. Uh, for example, they produced a list of books that they objected to being in school libraries, like another more modern group I could name. They even produced a pamphlet 
for their uh, individual chapters to use to evaluate books called A Measuring Rod for Textbooks. That's also available online if you wanted to uh, do a little bit of research about it. Moms for Liberty are trying the same thing with their position on a discussion of America's complicated racial past. And uh, lots of states are playing along by eliminating any discussion of American history by simplistically labeling it as CRT. Now, uh, there's something that we like to call historical revisionism, which is actually, you know, the, the phrase takes a lot of beating, but historical revisionism is, is to simplify things a little bit, a good thing. What it basically means is that as more evidence becomes available to us, we change how we view and teach history. You know, you might uncover documents or uh, archaeological evidence that forces you to reconsider how you've uh, previously looked at the past. But what these people are trying is called historical negationism, where they just basically rewrite the parts of history that they don't like or uh, edit them by omission. So uh, I don't know how ignoring our history and refusing to talk about it benefits anyone. Last week, the Supreme Court, in their continuing efforts to try to repeal the 20th century, ruled skin color shouldn't be a determining factor in college admissions, which is ironic since that's exactly why affirmative action became the law of the land. The court ruled it was constitutional to base admissions on race. The flaw in this thinking, as far as I can see, is that it ignores the context of why we implemented affirmative action 40 years ago in the first place. The court cited the 14th Amendment in their decision, ignoring the reason we needed a 13th Amendment, then a 14th Amendment, and a 15th Amendment. Sarah Sanders said, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, people should be judged on the content of their character, not the color of their skin. The Supreme Court affirmed that fundamental truth in today's decision. The greatness of America is that it doesn't matter where you start, you get to decide where you finish. Now, uh, there's a certain amount of irony in a lady who kept her father the governor's last name and has used that name to get every job that she's had, telling us it doesn't matter where you come from. What about uh, legacy college admissions, Sarah? You attended the same college your father did the same school your mother did. I'll acknowledge that without the historical context of this country, on its, if you just said, should you be able to privilege one skin color over another in the case of admissions, the answer would be, of course not. But when you do take into account the historical context of this country and the fact that in spite of all the laws that we've passed in this country to address this issue, 40 years ago, we still had to pass a law. 40 years ago, still had to pass yet another law to try to make college 
admissions equitable. And when you consider, and you know, there are voices out there that are better at explaining how they benefited from affirmative action better than I can do it. But it just feels like the Supreme Court decided that they'd had enough of this and that this uh, ruling was a long time coming. Conservatives have been complaining about affirmative action as long as I can remember. Uh, so no real surprise here, and we'll see what the fallout is. There's there's already some talk that uh, admissions, college admissions are going to sort the problem out on their own. I'll look forward to seeing uh, how that works out. And uh, I checked no no comment so far from the NCAA. Accumulating disadvantage is the problem with getting rid of affirmative action. Which brings us back to Sarah Huckabee Sanders' assertion that it doesn't matter where you come from, that it doesn't matter where you start, you get to decide where you finish. If that's true, Sarah, then why are you bothering with the Learns Act? Why does the state of Arkansas assign a letter grade to school districts and acknowledge that some are A schools and some are F schools. And if it doesn't matter where you come from or where you come from, why bother to address those F schools? The answer is because of course it does matter where you come from. And as long as we've tied the financial futures of these schools to taxation in the districts, there's going to be this disparity in outcomes. And as long as there's a disparity in outcomes, there's a fundamental unfairness in college admissions that eliminating affirmative action ignores. What Sarah from Mar-a-Lago and the Supreme Court ruling ignores is that affirmative action sets out to address a power disparity between majorities and minorities. And it's common sense that this disparity exists. You can see a disparity between the majority of the Supreme Court and the minority. And if, as the Supreme Court argues, there's no discrimination in the law, and these issues were so far in the past that we need to stop trying to level the playing field, why did we need to begin the process of affirmative action a mere 40 years ago, within our lifetimes? Which obvious disparities in the law at that time did affirmative action address? If you want to point at the law or individuals and say, show me the racism or discrimination, when schools find a way to keep campuses diverse and circumvent this ruling, I'll be using the show me the policy defense. Uh, you know, regret is probably the hardest human emotion to assuage. Put far too simply, there were flaws in the foundation of this country that we're still trying to repair while the layers of our own history are leaning on that flawed foundation. Uh, to make a long story short, we've got work to do, and we have to decide who is most likely to be willing and able to undertake the hard work to come. There's no advantage in ignoring reality. 
This week, Sarah from Mar-a-Lago uh, made national news when she evidently uh, allowed her kids to uh, draw a, a pretty elaborate cross on the driveway at the governor's mansion, which uh, she received a letter from a Washington, D.C. group asking that she remove it. She, of course, used the opportunity to write a letter back and say that she would never comply and uh, also parlayed it into another appearance on Fox News. Now, if you if you take a look, Sarah was a, a contributor to Fox News before she ran for governor. And since she uh, became governor, it's impossible to keep track of how many times she's used the the governorship as a platform to appear there. And as far as I can tell, this provides no uh, benefit whatsoever to the people of Arkansas, but is very beneficial to Sarah, who it feels like has national aspirations and is using the Arkansas governorship as a stepping stone to achieve her national aspirations. This argument feels a little bit uh, contrived and familiar. Uh, I think if you'll think back a few years, you'll remember Jason Rapert's efforts to get the Ten Commandments monument installed at the Capitol. And I th- I'm pretty sure uh, Ann Orsi and uh, several other uh, people are still involved in litigation to try to get that monument removed or... Uh, a statue of Baphomet installed, arguing that uh, if you make space in the, on uh, public lands controlled by the government for one religion, you have to make space for all. Uh, we'll have updates on this story as they come. That's about all we have time for today on this Independence Day version of the Arkansas Moderati podcast powered by the purple people project uh if you're enjoying this podcast share it with a friend uh be sure to follow along on our twitter page at purple people project and uh watch this space for further podcast entries to come see you next time